Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Easter is the answer to life's most important question. If a man dies, will he live again? The best answer I know to that question is found in the passage we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we look at how we move from tragedy to triumph. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, death was never part of God's perfect plan for you and me. Rather, death was the tragic consequence of mankind's rebellion against Him. Gratefully, God provided a solution. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress teaches from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Bible describes the one who died in our place. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thank you, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. For the last week, I've set aside any other subject in order to give due attention to Easter. What could possibly be more important than celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? And on today's broadcast, you'll hear my last installment on a sequence of Easter messages. On this pivotal day, it's important that I remind you about an exclusive offer prepared by your friends at Pathway to Victory. This is the very last day for you to respond, and I'm truly hoping you'll take advantage of this special thank you package. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'm going to send you two of my favorite Easter messages on both CD and DVD. But in addition, I'll also include a handcrafted olive wood cross fashioned in Israel. As you know, Christians do not worship items like the cross. We worship the one who gave his life on the cross. But I want this beautiful gift to serve as a visual reminder of God's love for you. After all, there is power in the cross. When you give a special Easter gift to Pathway to Victory, you're enabling us to tell others about the power of the cross. What a privilege to carry this message together. We'll say more about this time-limited offer after today's message. But right now, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I titled today's message, From Tragedy to Triumph. You know, if I were going to give a title to 1 Corinthians 15, I would title it, Everything You've Ever Wanted to Know About the Resurrection But Were Afraid to Ask. Because in this detailed chapter, Paul tells us, first of all, about the evidence, the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ, and there's lots of it. Then he talks about those who will participate in the future resurrection that all of us who know Christ will share in. He talks about the superiority of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then, beginning in verse 50, he describes the final victory that the resurrection will bring. And that's where we want to pick up this study in verse 50. Before he talks about the victory, Paul acknowledges the democracy of death. Everybody is going to experience death. In his book, Facing Death, the late Billy Graham makes a good point when he notes that many of the media accounts about tragedies are misleading. You get the idea from the media that somehow tragedies like war and pandemics and 
famines and earthquakes somehow increase the death rate. They don't at all. No, the death rate is fixed. It is certain for every generation. As George Bernard Shaw said one time, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of every one dies. We're all going to die. Euripides said death is the death that every man must pay. You know, one reason we know the Bible is God's inspired word is it doesn't gloss over hard experiences. It tells us the truth about death. Somebody has noted that the first book of the Bible, Genesis, ends with a coffin. Uh, The first real estate transaction in the Bible was buying a plot of land to bury a loved one. Time after time in the first five books of the Bible, you find the words, and he died, and he died, and he died. There is a democracy of death. Everybody dies. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old, Democrat, Republican, young or old, religious or an atheist, you are going to die. Have you come to grips with that fact? Most of us live our lives as if we're not going to die, but we are. It comes to everyone. Why is that? Why must everyone die? Well, there's a theological answer to that question that Paul explains earlier in this chapter in verse 22. He says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That is, those who are connected to Adam, and that's every one of us, we are a child of Adam and Eve. They sinned, they inherited the death virus, and they have passed that virus on to every person who has ever lived. We have the sin virus, and because we die. Paul explained in Romans 5, 12, for through one man, Adam, death came into the world, and death spread to all people because all sinned. It doesn't say death spreads because we all sin, present tense. It's because we all sinned when Adam sinned. I don't understand that, but Adam was the representative of the human race. When he sinned, we all sinned in God's eyes. And that's why we die. If you ever doubt that some people have received that virus of sin and are guilty of sin, just look at them. Do they die? Yes. Do babies die? Yes. Do people who've never heard the gospel die? Yes. We all die, and therefore, we are all guilty before God. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's the theological reason we die. But there's a very practical reason we must die as well that Paul explains in verse 50. He says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Translation, your body was not designed to last forever. By the way, do you need a pastor to tell you that? We all know that, don't we? Our bodies wear out. They have a shelf life of 70 or 80 years, maybe a little bit more, but not much more. Our bodies were designed for this life with a limited short shelf life. Catherine Hepburn, the late actress, once said, I think we're finally to a point when we've learned to see death with a sense of humor. I have to. When you're my age, it's as if you're a car. First, a tire blows and you go get that fixed. And then a headlight goes out and you go get that fixed. And then one day, you drive into the shop and the man frowns and says, sorry, miss, they don't have the parts for your model any longer. And that's why Paul says we have to exchange this body 
for a new body if we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. And death is the way that happens. Look at verses 51 and 52 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul explains that need for a new body. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When he says we shall not all sleep, sleep is a euphemism in the Bible for what happens to Christians when they die. Their soul doesn't go to sleep, but their bodies go to sleep awaiting the resurrection. And Paul says, we're not all going to die. There is a generation that will not die, the generation that's alive when the rapture occurs, and it could occur at any moment. But whether you die before the rapture or you're raptured when Christ returns, you still have to be changed. We'll not all die, but we all shall be changed, and it will happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, it's just like that. In that short of a period of time, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Paul describes that further in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he says at the rapture, the dead in Christ shall be raised first. And then we who are alive at that time and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. What a sight that will be when the graves are opened and the bodies of believers of ages past will be raised and will be raised. And as we're headed to heaven in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we receive our heaven suits that are designed for, designed for all eternity. We shall all be changed. Why, verse 53, for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. There's a democracy of death. God says we must die so that we can be prepared for eternity. But that's not all. The Bible talks about a distress of death as well. The distress, the pain, the agony of death. Death can be agonizing and painful. Verse 54, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal must have put on immortality, then will come out about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There's a sting, there's a pain, there's an agony of death. Sometimes it's for those who die. Some people die distressing, horrible, painful deaths. Uh, you know, Catherine Hepburn was being funny about death, but many people are fearful of death. I think we can more relate to what Woody Allen said one time. He said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> and the reason we say that is we're fearful of what may await us or we're fearful of the process. As Christians, we know God will walk with us through that experience of death. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We're not left alone in death. If we have trusted in Christ as our Savior, we have a firm foundation, even in death. But there's nevertheless an agony, whether it's physical or emotional agony, for those who die. There's also an agony, many of you know, for those who are left behind. I imagine there are some of you right now who are thinking of a loved one who was here last Easter and is no longer here. Many of you have lost people important to you, a parent, a mate, a child, a close friend. And there's an agony that comes from that kind of loss. 
Rabbi Harold Kushner lost his 12-year-old son to leukemia. And in talking about his son, he said, I have not known a day in which I did not think about him, in which I did not probe the empty space his death left behind like a tongue probing a missing tooth. You understand that. You understand the agony of death. I'll never forget an experience from many years ago. I conducted the funeral service for a young woman in our church, a young mother whose body had been ravaged by cancer. And as I stood after the service by the hearse and watched the pallbearers load her casket into that hearse, the woman's little six-year-old daughter was standing beside me and she cried out, Mommy, no, no, no. Mommy, no, no, no. That is the sting of death, the distress of death that we will all experience at some point. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Yes, there is a distress that death produces, but because of Christ Jesus, there will one day be a defeat of death. And that's how Paul finishes the defeat of death. He says, for as in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. It is through Christ that we have the hope of the defeat of death. The late theologian R.C. Sproul used to explain how some people have it all wrong when they think about why we go to heaven. Many people, Sproul said, believe in justification by death. That is, all you have to do is die and you're welcomed into heaven and everybody's going to heaven. No, it's not justification by death. It's justification by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. And only those who have been justified by faith have the hope of heaven. Remember Job's question? If a man dies, will he live again? Job answered his own question in Job 19 when he said, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last day he shall take his stand upon the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I shall see God. Job was looking forward to something that would happen 2,000 years after his death when the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, would come and pay the ransom for his sin. That is our hope. It is our hope in a Redeemer Paul said the same thing in verses 56 and 57 of 1 Corinthians 15. He said, for the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. How does Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, how is it that he gives us the victory over eternal death? Paul uses that word to describe death sting. We know from nature that a worker bee has a powerful stinger. And when he stings it's his victim, that stinger has barbs along the side like a porcupine that deeply embed the stinger in the victim. But the worker bee, in order to free himself from that stinger, has to tear apart his own body. He has to pull himself from that stinger, meaning he can sting powerfully, but he can only sting one time. 
after he pulls his body from that stinger, he still has the ability to fly around and buzz around and frighten people, but he's powerless to do so. Now, that's the analogy Paul is using. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he experienced the sting of death. But that stinger can only sting once because Christ took that sting. We never have to fear it. We never have to fear separation from God. Oh yeah, death can still buzz around us and frighten us, but it has no power over us. And one day, even physical death, that buzzing of death will be swallowed up in victory. That's what Paul means in verse 54 when he says, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? That's the future defeat of death that we look forward to. You know, every time I share this truth with a family that is grieving over the loss of a loved one, they'll either ask me verbally or they ask me by the look in their eyes, Pastor, how do you know this is true? How do you know this resurrection stuff is really going to happen? How do we know? Ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection of believers from the dead is not legend, it's not myth, it's not hopeful thinking. The resurrection is based on the promises of Jesus himself. Just listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but shall pass from death unto life. Or John 6, 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who hold, beholds the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I myself shall raise him up in the everlasting eternity. Or John eleven twenty five, 25, for I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. Or John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Ladies and gentlemen, I say it again. The resurrection is not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not hopeful thinking. It is based on the promises of Jesus Christ. And the fact that Jesus conquered death himself means he has the power to deliver on that promise he's made to us. That is why we know this is all true. And it's because of that, Paul could say with absolute conviction in 1 Corinthians 15, one day death will be swallowed up in victory. It's why the apostle John could say with confidence in Revelation 21 verse 4, for on that day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there shall no longer be any death or mourning or crying or pain for the first things will have passed away. Was John saying that one day in heaven God's going to do a memory wipe and we no longer remember the agony we experienced of losing a loved one. He's not saying that at all. But here's what he's saying. He's saying when that day comes that we cross the river of death and we are welcomed into heaven 
by the Lord Jesus and by our loved ones as we stand there with our loved ones and look back on what had happened on earth, we'll see for the first time how what appeared to be an unending tragedy was simply a prelude to a never-ending triumph. And we will laugh and rejoice forever and ever and ever. In his book, The Darkness and the Dawn, Chuck Swindoll relates the story of a Norwegian fisherman and his two sons who were out on their daily fishing journey. By early evening, a fierce storm arose, extinguishing the light in the lighthouse, leaving the men dependent on their own guesswork to find the shore among the smothering darkness. At the same time, they were trying to find a way home. The wife and mother was back home, unaware of what was happening to her family. She was preparing the evening meal when a fire broke out and totally destroyed their house. She stood outside watching her house burn to the ground, wondering how she was going to explain it to her family. As she stood on the shore awaiting her family's return, as the man and his sons made their way onto the shore, she told them about the fire. We've lost everything, she cried. But the father was strangely unmoved. She said, Carl, didn't you hear me? We lost everything. He said, yes, I heard you. But this evening, we were lost at sea. We were depending on the light of the lighthouse to lead us to safety. But when the light went out, I thought we were doomed. And then we noticed a yellow light in the distance. We turned our boat around and started rowing toward the light. It grew brighter and brighter until we followed it safely to the shore. The same fire that destroyed our house created a light that saved our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a boat in the sea of life, and that boat is sinking. All of the lights on the shore have been extinguished. There is only one light that can lead us to safety, and it is the light of the resurrected Christ. Because of the tragedy of a burning house, a family was saved. Because of the tragedy of a crucified Savior, we have a resurrected Savior. And because He has conquered death, one day so shall we. That's the hope of Easter. May you take comfort that your future is secure because we believe in the resurrected Savior. That's the hope of Easter. That's the power of the cross. Well, friends, this is the very last time I'm able to extend a special offer to you. Hundreds have already taken advantage of this exclusive thank you package from Pathway to Victory, and I don't want you to miss out. I'm referring to my two favorite Easter messages on CD and DVD. You can enjoy these sermons at your own pace, and then maybe you'll share them with someone who needs the hope of Easter as well. In addition to my messages, I'm pleased to include an exclusive gift from the Holy Land. It's a beautiful, handcrafted cross made of olive wood. You can display this cross on your nightstand, maybe on your desk at work, or perhaps keep it in your car. 
I want this cross to serve as a visual reminder that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. This thank you package is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. And here's the best part. When you give, you're enabling us to share the power of the cross for those who have no hope. Pathway to Victory has become a beacon of light around the world, but it hasn't been without opposition. Sometimes we feel the pressure of limited resources. Other times we feel the opposition from those who want to silence us. But along the way, it's the support of friends like you that keeps us forging ahead with boldness. Your gift today is critically important and deeply appreciated. Please follow David's directions while there's still time. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the Power of the Cross teaching set featuring two favorite Easter messages from Dr. Robert Jeffress. Plus, you'll also receive an olive wood cross crafted in Israel to help you remember what God has done in your life through the power of the cross. Simply give us a call, 866-999-2965. That's 866-999-2965. Or visit online at ptv.org. Thank you for standing with us in our mission to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word and for stepping out to do so in an extra special way this Easter season. If you'd prefer to send your donation by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time for the start of a new series on the end times. It's called Perfect Ending. That's Tuesday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.